0: I would say the, the population that is probably the most excited about psychedelic therapy is the medical community. We haven't seen significant innovation in mental health in 35 years. I think there's a deep recognition within the healthcare system that we need some new
1: tools. Welcome to Voices of Esalen, I'm Sam Stern. My guest today is Peyton Nyquist co-founder and CEO of Numinous, a for-profit psychedelic company that empowers people to heal and be well through the development and delivery of safe, evidence-based psychedelic-assisted therapies. Peyton has more than 15 years' experience working in finance, investment, and retail banking in Canada. He pivoted to the emerging psychedelics industry not long after ayahuasca helped him experience deep relief from a lifelong battle with chronic pain. At Numinous, Peyton guides teams in strategy, innovation, research, and clinic network expansion, and is responsible for raising more than $70 million for Numinous in the past year. Together, we talked about the difference between a for-profit and non-profit psychedelic organization, how he works in conjunction with MAPS, which is a non-profit, how he sees psychedelic services intersecting with existing healthcare protocols in the United States, why Numinous is publicly traded, and how being a father to a young child has influenced the direction his life has taken. But before we get into Peyton's story, I want to mention Esalen's LEAP program. Live and learn at Eslin for four weeks as part of our Live Extended Education Program, or LEAP. Under the guidance of skilled faculty and surrounded by a cohort of 12 other learners, students will be challenged to expand their personal growth edges and open up to greater discoveries of self and community. Our next program cohort runs from February 12th to March 11th. Participants will study Eslin Massage, Principles and Practice. That's with Brita Ostrom, Oliver Bailey, and Char Pius, all amazing teachers. Applications are now open, so go to Eslin.org learn. Now here's my conversation with Peyton Nyquist. Peyton Nyquist, thank you so much for joining us today on Voices of Eslin. Really appreciate you taking the time to hang out and chat today.
0: Thanks so much for having me.
1: I think the best place to start out is generally, so I'll just ask you what your company Numinous is and does.
0: Yeah, so really the the focus of the company is has been to develop and and create sort of the infrastructure and and therapeutic products centered around psychedelic therapy and also just mental health and wellness as well. And we do that through sort of two two main focuses of the company. One is Numinous Health, which is our clinical infrastructure platform where we have multiple locations across Canada and are just in the process of expanding into the U.S., where we hold mindfulness and and traditional mental health services, as well as the integration of psychedelic therapy into that, really focusing on where we believe this uh, new space is headed around, um, not just obviously ketamine assisted psychotherapy that's getting a lot of attention at the moment, but also MDMA and psilocybin assisted psychotherapy. And we're partnered with MAPS, uh, the Multidisciplinary Association for Psychedelic Studies to to help carry out some of their work with MDMA for, for PTSD. And then the other focus of the company is Numinous Bioscience, which is our licensed lab and production facility where we're licensed to not only do analytical testing, but also production, importation, and distribution of of pretty much all the known psychedelic compounds. And really the, the focus has always been around accessibility. So what can we do to create products that make these therapies more accessible for people and sort of highlighted by some of the recent developments with the company we were amended our license to allow the harvest uh, cultivation and extraction and production of psilocybin from naturally occurring psilocybin containing fungi. And about a year and a half ago, we grew from what we can tell the first legal psilocybin mushrooms since the 70s. And we've been working to create a a natural product that fits the standards of Health Canada and the FDA so that there's a, a natural option for people looking to do this work as it becomes more available.
1: Can you talk about your own journey with chronic pain and how you turned to plant medicine to deal with it?
0: I struggled with chronic pain really since birth. You know, with that had some associated mental health challenges, and quite early on in my life, recognized that there was you know some correlation between the two. And uh, but it was really hard for me to to put my finger on what that was and and how to bridge that gap. And I grew up in a household that struggled with addiction and was fortunate enough uh, when my mom was 12, uh, she became, she got sober and, and came to me and said, you know, you might want to start seeing somebody. I really took that to heart. And so as as a young person became very passionate about mental health and, and really, you know, obviously motivated by the fact that I was suffering so badly with chronic pain. And that really stuck with me for my whole life. I became something of a, a mental health advocate in my community, so that really stuck with me. But no matter what I was doing, my my chronic pain continued to get worse and worse and worse and um, got me to uh, a place of quite deep despair uh, a number of years ago, where I was being hospitalized a couple of times a week and um, had sort of exhausted all of the accessible Western medical system programs that, that I could to try and alleviate what was going on for me. And as someone who, who grew up, grew up in a household with, uh, with addiction, I I'd actually never had a, a psychedelic experience in my life. And, but just knew that that was really the, the last option that I had. And so I, I turned to psychedelics really as a last ditch effort. And I ended up going to, to a facility in Costa Rica. And I was, it was, you know, I, I hesitate to overemphasize or, or make it sound like psychedelics are panacea. They're, they're not, but it gave me the first relief from my chronic pain symptoms that I'd ever had in my life. Uh, just one week down in Costa Rica. And um, they haven't come back since. So just extremely grateful, obviously, to to be able to have come to that place of being able to make the shift that I did.
1: Peyton, you talked about your collaboration with MAPS, the Multidisciplinary Association for Psychedelic Studies. Can you talk a little bit about how your organizations mutually support one another?
0: You know, when we founded Numinous, uh, sort of going back to my own story, when, when I came out of that experience, my motivation was really, how do I just give back to something that had saved my life? I, I never planned on quitting my job and starting a company and and doing everything that we've done. But as I was sort of looking at different groups, just recognized that there was more than philanthropy that I could do. And and frankly, more that was needed than just philanthropy. And so, you know, maps was always very top of my list in terms of organizations that are doing really amazing work in the not-for-profit space that we don't want to get in the way of and, and that we want to try and to support. So a lot of the business model that you see with Numinous was really out of conversations with those not for profit groups saying you know how can we help how can, how can we alleviate you know the the weight that is currently on your shoulders and build things that that could potentially speed up the timelines and take off some of the costs and you know really highlighted by our collaboration with maps where we're very active in everything from the training of practitioners, which is really the, the significant bottleneck for accessibility around psychedelic therapy is just getting enough trained practitioners ready, all the way to helping with the implementation of the research work that they're doing. And then finally, you know, there's work to be done to take a protocol out of a research environment and, and into a, an accessibility model. And uh, that's some of the, the more significant work that we've been looking at is how do we make sure that we have containers That can hold those protocols as soon as as the research is complete, which MAPS anticipates MDMA being legal for therapy in 2023. So we're really sort of right around the corner at the moment. So there's quite a bit of work to be done to make sure that we can meet the massive addressable need.
1: When you talk about MDMA being legal for therapy in 2023, are you talking about Canada, the US, or both?
0: Both, actually, Um, you know, that that MAPS has really done a significant amount of work in the U.S. And Canada, you know, there's opportunities in Canada just with a, a bit more of an amendable regulatory environment around drug policy. You know, you could see Canada potentially move to a quicker access model early next year. One of the things that Canada does have is, is something called the Special Access Drug Program, a program in Canada that allows for unlimited amount of Canadians to get access to drugs or therapies before they've completed going through the clinical trial process. Previously, psychedelics had been removed from being able to be applied for this program, and a collection of folks, uh, many from our team, provided Health Canada with a briefing note last year with uh, suggestions to change the special access br- drug program, which Health Canada actually took that briefing note and posted their intention to change um, the special access program. So that went through a 60 day comment period, which completed last February, and the anticipated timeline for the change would be about a, a nine to 12 month program. So we're, we're coming up on, on that now, and it's anticipated that that change could happen, in the coming weeks, which would allow for for a significant step forward in the availability of, of MDMA and psilocybin assisted psychotherapy.
1: I'm curious about working with the existing healthcare model in both Canada and the United States. Is there a chance that people in need will eventually be able to get their insurance to pay for psychedelic psychotherapy?
0: It's a really, really great question. And you know, and obviously in Canada, we have the the fortune of having a universal healthcare system and, and that's That's one of the the very, very big projects that really I think the industry is recognizing at the moment and and something that we've been quite involved with is making sure that there's subsidized support for these therapies. You know, it's it's not necessarily an inexpensive protocol, but in saying that, you know, if you look at the MAPS data, treatment-resistant PTSD, their population went through three, so essentially it was three sessions with MDMA plus some therapeutic support on either side, over 80% of people saw a significant reduction in their symptoms, and 66% of people actually no longer met the PTSD criteria after three treatments. So we're talking about a cure in, in a protocol that runs for about three months. So while it's a, it's an upfront cost, the quality of life that somebody can get back to in, in a significantly shorter time frame, and again, not panaceas, but the shift that it can make in someone's life in, in a very short time is, is significant. And... I think you need to think of these therapies more as interventions than traditional mental health therapies. And so I think you're you're seeing that a lot. MAPS does actually anticipate insurance coverage in the U.S. day one, initiating the, the MDMA for PTSD work. So there's a lot of conversation and a lot of work being done behind the scenes at the moment to make sure that there is insurance provider support.
1: Those statistics are really compelling. I wonder if there are other studies or statistics that you could cite that underscored the stunning effectiveness of some of these psychedelic therapies.
0: Yeah, you know, you see the same thing. Compass Pathways recently res- published some of their results with psilocybin for treatment-resistant depression, um, and you see a similar sort of success. I think, you know, the other thing not to be underscored either is is the safety profile of these psychedelic drugs is so much more significantly safe than the current medications that we use to treat mental health disorders. You know, if you look at the safety profile of SSRIs, they're terrifying things like suicidality and, and, and things like that, which, you know, we sort of just brush under the rug. I feel like a lot of the time, and, and it's, it's significant, you know, with these drugs, very, very safe. Um, you don't need much of it. It's, it's a therapeutic protocol. We're not expecting someone to, to be taking a psychedelic every day or, you know, in a, in a very frequent dose and, and extremely safe. So the, the other thing is we shouldn't have to wait until it's a treatment resistant indication, which usually means when you're treatment-resistant depressed or you have treatment-resistant PTSD, it means that you've had to exhaust every single other modality. So usually something in the neighborhood of three different SSRI treatments, all these different kinds of therapies. And I think what's important for this industry is we need to really, really look at if we've recognized that they're safe and we've recognized that a client or patient meets the the criteria, we shouldn't have to prolong their suffering or, or even make their symptoms worse by having to run them through a whole bunch of other programs that that frankly have a very low efficacy rate. And uh, and I think we need to be prioritizing psychedelic therapy as, as a standard of care, assuming that the person meets the eligibility criteria and uh, is considered safe.
1: I find myself wondering, have you encountered any resistance from pharmaceutical companies whose business you have the potential of disrupting?
0: Yeah, you know, that, that's another question that that comes up a lot. You know, to be honest, I haven't seen it yet if you look at the sort of business model of psychedelics it's it's really a service based industry it's it's not really doesn't fit within the sort of big pharma business model of keeping people on prescription drugs it's certainly disruptive to their model but but we haven't really seen any pushback yet not to say that it wouldn't come and and we do sort of anticipate that probably something is you know going to come at at some point but Big Pharma, and, and not to discredit what Big Pharma has been trying to do. There are drugs and therapies out there that help a lot of people. But, you know, Big Pharma, for the most part, has become a four-letter word. Uh, and I think with this space, it, it really presents a, a massive opportunity for a lot of people. And I think it's been amazing to me how much awareness and advocacy support is out there for psychedelics. I, when I got into this, this sort of space and trying to support, I, I, I vastly underestimated, frankly, how much support is there and, and sophisticated support as well. So as I said, I haven't seen it yet. I, I'm sure at some point it will show up, but uh, I'm optimistic and positive that psychedelics are, are here to stay.
1: I'm amazed what people like you have been able to do Peyton with regards to legalization and medicalization of psychedelics and cannabis over the past couple of years, but I can't help, but consider potential roadblocks. Like when I think about the United States, to me, it seems more and more likely that we'll have a conservative federal government come 2024. It's just looking like that, you know, during the years of the Trump presidency, it seemed that the powers that be in the FDA were surprisingly open to psychedelic therapy, but these are highly volatile and unpredictable people. And I personally wouldn't be surprised if they were to reissue somewhat draconian measures around psychedelics. So just posing the question to you, do you have any fears on a federal level for Canada or for the United States going forward?
0: You know, in in, in Canada, to, to be totally honest, we don't. Um, Health Canada has been so extremely supportive at the moment, and and continues to to be so. And I think if you look at the U.S., you know, one of the things, and and Maps was brilliant in their approach is the population that they were really looking to serve was veterans, regardless of which color you banner you sit under. the The recognition that veterans need a significant amount of support is is known, and uh, I think it was very smart on Maps' part to. To go after, you know, and try and support the veteran community. I think, you know, it, it feels so much like the train has left the station. And I think, you know, what's really exciting about psychedelics that you didn't really have in the cannabis space is you've got huge. Advocacy support, you've got a cultural support of psychedelic therapy. It's it, psychedelics have become very much in the mainstream. And then you've got sort of got this whole other pathway of, of academic research. You know, MDMA is in FDA phase three clinical trials, psilocybin is in FDA phase two clinical trials. And these were clinical trial processes that were created by big pharma companies. So there's sort of beating them at their own game a little bit. And so it, it just continues, you know, I, I think as, a, as an industry, we share your sentiments and concerns, but I think that's why, you know, we're also so encouraged that it feels like we're covering as many bases as we can. And uh, I think it's also exciting that you've seen, you know, a lot of financial support come into this space and that, that continues to help drive things forward as well.
1: Being a for-profit psychedelic company can you talk a little bit about what you can accomplish in the for-profit space that wouldn't be possible as a nonprofit?
0: Yeah, you know, it and it was something we sat with for quite a long time and I think, you know, the thing with a for-profit space is obviously what we're looking at doing is completely uh, paradigm shifting the healthcare system and that takes a lot of resources, it takes a lot of heavy lifting and We really want to try and create something that is scalable and sustainable and and has real lasting power. You know, the thing that we see, too, is I would say the the population that is probably the most excited about psychedelic therapy is the medical community. We haven't seen significant innovation in mental health in 35 years. I think there's a deep recognition within the healthcare system that, you know, we're not doing a good job um, and it's not at the lack of effort of medical practitioners and and healthcare practitioners, but we need some new tools. And I think from a for-profit perspective, to be able to provide a platform where, you know, a therapist, you know, if you look at the underground therapy community, which is a thriving community in the psychedelic space, these are most of them registered practitioners that have had to go underground um, because they see how significant the opportunities are with psychedelic therapy. But They can't pay taxes. They can't, you know, they can't report some of the work that they're doing. And so to have an infrastructure that is sustainable and scalable and able to grow as large as it needs to in order to create this shift is is necessary. That being said, I think the fact that MAPS is the group uh, and a nonprofit group that is bringing sort of the first significant psychedelic into the mainstream is so so important and that was a big reason why numinous wanted to support maps is it keeps the ethos and it keeps mm-hmm. the the purpose of why these medicines are here you know so for a nonprofit to do that is is instrumental and I, and I think so so important.
1: Your company is actually publicly traded. Are you the first psychedelic company on a major stock exchange?
0: We we're, we're actually not there's there's quite quite a few at the moment. Um, we were definitely one of the first, and it was it was something that was a bit shocking for me as well, to be totally honest. I, I do have a, a background in, in the public markets, and I left the public markets because I was fairly disenfranchised by them and and uh, wanted to do something of, of more service and purpose, and ended up coming back to the public markets for a few different reasons. One is, as I mentioned, to be able to scale as quickly as we need to, and two, you know, if you think about the real reason why public markets exist is, is full transparency and the ability for anybody to come in and support. And one of the things that we found when we started the company is the overwhelming amount of inbound um, support that we got from people who just wanted to find a way to, to, to get involved, whether it was financial support, working with us, it, it was almost overwhelming how many people Wanted to be involved with what we were doing. And so as a public company, anybody can come in and support. And we have full visibility. We we have to as a as a public company. Um, so people can really take a look at what we're doing and and have full transparency, which, you know, private companies, you know, there's a lot that they that they don't have to disclose.
1: And that's really interesting. So what would be your pitch to me or to any other person to buy Numinous stock? Essentially, why would you say that the stock price will rise? What's that contingent upon? Mm.
0: You know, I, I think the thing that is the most exciting to me about the psychedelic therapy space is I think it I think success is going to be dictated by client outcomes. And we have really, really good ways of of reporting that data. That is really, really exciting to me. And I think you you are a collection of majority of investors at the moment who you know, yes, they want to see a return on their investment, but they also want their investment to do something good. Um, and I think that's what's really, really exciting about the psychedelic therapy space is the companies that will be successful are the ones that are, are are giving successful outcomes. And if you're not, you're not going to be successful. So it really drives accountability and it drives really the focus being on the client. I think as, as we look at the industry, that's that, you know, is, is why I've, Put my money where my mouth is as well, and and uh, why we're so passionate about what we're doing.
1: Coming soon at Esselin, bringing self leadership to everyday life with Richard Schwartz. Richard Schwartz is the founder of Internal Family Systems Therapy, a kind of psychotherapeutic process very much in vogue these days. Sometimes, but not always, used in conjunction with psychedelic therapy. In this workshop, therapists and laypeople will gain the tools to understand the role of self with a capital S discuss the role of mindfulness and self awareness and recognize the essential features of the IFS model. Richard is an amazing, amazing teacher. I did a podcast with him a couple of years ago and we did some live work together and it absolutely changed the direction of my life. So check it out. You can sign up at Eslin.org slash workshops. Now let's get back to Peyton Nyquist. In the past couple of years has Numinous grown? Not only from a financial perspective, but also in terms of the number of people that it employs, uh, its base of operations.
0: Absolutely, we we've grown quite significantly over the last couple of years. You know, if you if you look at our financials, you you can you know again, benefit being a public company, as we get to report earnings and financials every quarter, so uh, you can take a look at that and and yeah, the growth has been very very strong and uh, and as an organization, we've grown quite quickly, we've actually more, more often than not, we've, we've made sure that we've tempered that growth. And again, really, really committing to the best outcomes possible for the people coming through our doors. And, you know, the, I think the psychedelic therapy space is, is barely out of the first inning at the moment. And while there's a ton of excitement, I do think it's, it's going to be important that we, we walk with a significant amount of integrity and don't forget that. These are people that, that we're serving, and, and they need to be always at the very forefront of, of everything that we do as, a, as an industry and especially as an organization.
1: Okay, well, I've thrown most of the imaginary roadblocks that have come up in my mind at you. Now I'll ask, what do you consider the biggest possible impediments to your dream? What are the biggest mountains that you still have to climb logistically?
0: You know, it's, it's the, I would say it's complex, you know, it's, it's a, it's a very significant mindset shift around what psychedelics present and, you know, there's stigma on a few fronts. There's obviously the stigma of psychedelics themselves, which is still, you know, quite prevalent. And then there's, you know, the stigma around mental health and, and how we treat mental health, you know, it's it's going back to some of those diagnoses you know, when someone gets diagnosed as depressed, that, that becomes a part of their identity. They they identify as in a depressed person. What psychedelics do is, is the the potential to cure that, which is a hard thing for a lot of people to grasp. And so I think probably one of the biggest roadblocks is is getting education out there, educating not only the public, but the healthcare system as well. And I think as I mentioned, you know, there's there's a lot of shifts that need to happen while we're certainly doing a lot, it's, it's still, you know, there's a lot more work to be done. I think, you know, just, just continuing to make sure that a lot of those pieces are being looked at. And, and I think, you know, a part that you hit on in the beginning, that is probably most important is just making sure that there's equal access for people and that there's financial support.
1: When you talk about educating the public, what are some of the tactics that you use to get compelling stories out there?
0: You know, I, I think about the MAPS data. If you were someone with PTSD and I came to you and I said, you know, guess what? I've, I've got this really amazing treatment that has a has a 67% success rate of curing your PTSD in three months and an over 80% uh, success rate in greatly reducing your symptoms. And I didn't say anything about MDMA and I just said that to you. You'd have a lineup down the street and around the corner. And I think I think that's what needs to be highlighted and I think what needs to also be highlighted is yes there's the use of of psychedelic drugs as tools but what's more important is the therapeutic container and I think that really needs to be highlighted is you know these are just powerful tools and a hammer can be used to build a house or a hammer can be used to hit yourself in the hand with it really comes down to to who's wielding the tool and so While there's this huge amount of interest that is resurfacing around psychedelics, I encourage people to really educate themselves on what is the therapeutic process and who's doing a really good job of that, because that's what's going to try and do the best job of guaranteeing that you have those significant outcomes.
1: Yeah, I'm really glad that you've come back several times during this interview to the therapy. Could you talk a bit about the practitioner trainings that you facilitate at Numinous?
0: Yeah, yeah, and and really, you know, again, I have to I have to give a lot of credit to Maps. You know, the training that they put together is is really significant, and the amount of courage that it takes for a practitioner. You know, this is a new therapy, and if you look at the education system for healthcare providers, you know, we always say like we should have a a psychedelic for therapy program for. People getting out of medical school, um, it's it's fairly traumatizing, and, and it's 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 very oriented towards a, a certain type of uh, modalities. It takes a lot of courage to to look at something new. The the thing I will say is, is the people that we have involved are are so so passionate about what they're doing, and not only that, but to give these practitioners who really have the absolute best intentions in trying to help people give them some tools that can really do that in a, in a shorter time frame where you can you know really see somebody alter the course of their life in the, in the course of a couple of treatments and and some supportive therapy there's you know there's always more work to be done but these really help shift people to a a, a positive outlook and a positive mindset it's extremely inspiring for for people who you know might work with somebody for 10 years as a therapist who don't see the kind of results that they could potentially see from a, a three-month psychedelic protocol. So it's it's an it's an, a very, very exciting exciting time as, as a practitioner to be at the forefront of a lot of this work. And frankly, we need a lot more people. Um, as I mentioned in the beginning, that I think the biggest bottleneck to accessibility is just enough well-trained practitioners who are able to carry out this work.
1: Talk to me a little bit about advice for people who want to be in this psychedelics world in a career-oriented way. What are some points of entry? And would you recommend in general hitching oneself to this emerging industry?
0: I, I think if if you're in the healing space, it's it's a very very exciting time, and it's a, it's a co- very compelling proposition, frankly, around using some of these modalities. You know, the thing that we talk a lot about is so much of what makes a very very good psychedelic therapist is also somebody who's really accountable for their own healing journey as well, and and that's something that we really prioritize as an organization you might know, or your listeners might know of uh, Dr. Gabor Mate, who is really one of the leading trauma experts in the world. And we've been fortunate enough to have him really work alongside us as an advisor and putting together protocols, not only to help heal um, our clients, but also help take care of our practitioners as well. And so I think people looking to do this work, you know, there's great avenues. MAPS has an amazing training program. There's CIIS out of California, who does a, a psychedelic therapy tra- therapist training program as well. And I think also, you know, there's a lot of modalities that apply somatic therapy, IFS. There's there's really great psychotherapy and therapeutic tools that are very amendable to psychedelic therapy as well. So um, I encourage people to check out some of those different outfits. What's interesting about this industry is it's sort of the converging of purpose with also, um, as you said, there's an opportunity for financial stability as well, and I and I think we have to stop looking at them as separate all the time. There's there's always this feeling of like, if if you're going to do something of purpose, it can't be financial, or it has to has to sacrifice financially in order for that to be the case. And I don't think that that's necessarily true. I think you can live in a life of abundance and purpose, and I think. That that word abundance, I think purpose has to be at the forefront of, of that in order for it to actually be abundance. And I think that's that's an exciting opportunity for psychedelic therapy. You know, if you look at the sort of total addressable need, whether it's addiction, suicidality, depression, anxiety, all of these different mental health indications, I mean it's it's a it's a staggering number that needs to be shifted. It's going to take a lot. And I think there's been, I think right now there's more motivation in, than ever to, to do that. So um, it presents a really, really exciting opportunity.
1: What's something that your organization is not currently doing, but you would love to do with regards to psychedelics and psychedelic psychotherapy?
0: If I looked into my crystal ball, I think what's really exciting about this space and where we could potentially see it going in you know sort of the 5 to 10 year time frame is we've talked a lot about about all these serious indications that that we really need to to treat and address and that's certainly the focus of the company over the sort of short to medium term but i think there's also an opportunity where we go from here is why don't we talk about preventative mental health why why don't we talk about you know we all go to the dentist a couple of times a year even if we have perfect teeth and i think this this opportunity that psychedelics present around, you know, maybe you're coming once or twice a year for a reset and a relanding of yourself. And, and I think that's something that is really, really exciting that I see potentially, you know, down the road for psychedelics is, is to be places where that work can can take place and communities that are really supportive of of what comes up for people. You know, we also live in this really interesting time at the moment where Since the inception of organized religion, we have less people than ever before that actually identify with religion. And on the other side, we have more people than ever before that identify as some kind of spiritual orientation. What psychedelics do is they connect you so deeply to yourself and as as such to something greater than yourself as well. I think we live in a time where people are, are searching for something like that. I think, you know, the, even the ethos of psychedelics and the, and the community that revolves around that presents a really opportunity for a paradigm shift, not only in healing, but human evolution and, and consciousness as well.
1: Would you speak to any efforts that you've undertaken at Numinous with regards to diversity, whether it's patient populations who can be served or folks who can represent a diverse set of experiences within the company?
0: Yeah. Yeah. Really, really good question. And, and something that we're quite proud of as an organization is diversity and and reciprocity for indigenous groups as well. You know, these medicines have been used by indigenous communities for thousands of years. Even the lands in which we we get to do this work on is is many of it um, been stewarded by indigenous communities for a long time. So we, we have quite a few efforts underway, even around our hiring process, hiring for diversity and inclusion, our therapist training manuals all include cultural safety and humility practices. We we actually have a, a woman, Lindsay Farrell, who heads up, she's uh, head of Indigenous relations and, and really working to support Indigenous and diversified communities as well. Not only from an accessibility standpoint, you know, some of the work we've done to try and find subsidized support, but also making sure that we're training practitioners who, you know, someone who has trauma who might be from an indigenous indigenous community you know might not resonate with you know a, a caucasian male therapist who might not fully understand what they've had to go through in their upbringing and so we've really made sure that we're hiring diverse uh, array of people who can meet people where they're at in their healing journey and uh, i think that that's really really important and to empower those other communities to carry out this work in their in their own communities as well. That's something that we're really proud of and really excited about.
1: So Peyton, I learned by going to your Instagram page that you're a dad of a daughter. I am one too. My daughter's name is Roxy and she's two. She's definitely changed how I feel about the future. I guess to be specific, I fear much more than I used to because I think it's quite possible that we humans have brewed up some real problems that her generation is going to have to deal with. Whether that's climate change or political strife, there's definitely gonna be a lot going on by the time she's an adult. I'm just wondering whether you dedicating your life to the dissemination of psychedelics and psychedelic therapy has anything to do with some sort of a hope for bettering the world for your daughter.
0: Yeah, absolutely. I mean, even going back to, you know, one of the big motivators for me when I was a kid um, in, in getting involved with my own mental health practices was, you know, I, I just wanted to do a better job of being a father and uh, not to discredit the, the job that my dad did, but uh, there was some, probably some, some brushing up that I, I could do to uh, continue to advance that forward. And, uh, you know, so that that's been a big motivator of mine for a long time. And I think, you know, human beings, we're always going to make a bit of a mess of things. and And I think we've, we've got a pretty good track record of that, but at the same time, we're also we do amazingly innovative things. and you know, for sure, the motivation, you know when when we started numinous, it was how do you save the world? and And very quickly it was, you know the world's fine. it's It's how nice of a place or how much of a, a cohesive relationship human beings want to have with it. And we could we could make it completely inhabitable and and wipe ourselves out and uh, the world will reset and regrow. Or we can try and do a better job of while wow, we're here. It's, it's a pretty amazing place that we get to live in, and I think I think psychedelics have the potential to do an amazing job of helping shift humans so that we as humans can do better jobs and be better stewards of of the planet and uh, and kinder and com- more compassionate to each other.
1: Peyton Nyquist, how can our listeners learn more about Numinous?
0: Yeah, you can, you can visit our website, numinous.com. Um, we're on all the social channels as well. Um, so I encourage everybody to check it out there. And we have a, a great newsletter that goes out as well. So you can sign up for that on our website.
1: And what's that Toronto Stock Exchange code?
0: N- N-U-M-I is, is the, uh, the ticker symbol and, and N-U-M-I-F in, in the U.S.
1: That's awesome. Peyton, it's been so fun talking to you. I really appreciate you and the work that you're doing in the world.
0: Thanks so much. I'm really, really grateful to be here. I really appreciate it.
1: Thank you for listening to Voices of Esalen. Our show is produced in conjunction with Peter Kobabe. Our theme music is by Nico Holloman. If you like the show, be sure to subscribe. Until next time, be well.